0: Welcome to the Renovate Church sermon podcast. At Renovate Church, we are passionate about teaching God's Word in such a way that you really get to know the heart and character of God, and where you can apply the truth of Scripture to every aspect of living. We believe that God's Word is relevant and has the power to transform your life. We're excited for this most recent sermon, and we hope it blesses and encourages you. Hey, just real quick as well, uh, you know, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago, and in that we talked to the church just about three things that are important to us uh, discipling families, no matter where they're at, uh, impacting generations, and then reaching nations. Uh, that's part of our DNA here. Uh, and so, here in a couple weeks, uh, Pastor Tato and Willie are going to be going down to uh, our partners in Nicaragua. So they'll be gone from the 26th to the 30th. Uh, we work with uh, an organization there named On Eagle's Wings and Pastor Oscar and Rosabel Correa. We've been serving there for about seven years. And um, they work in Leon, Nicaragua, uh, in uh, really the whole country, but in the northeast part of Uh, or the northwest part of the country, and uh, it's, Nicaragua's the second poorest country in the western hemisphere. You have Haiti and you have Nicaragua, and um, they feed about 13,000 kids a day through their network and so forth, and uh, share the gospel and work with churches, and so uh, Tato and Willie are going to be going down. They're going to get a chance to be in the church service on Sunday, And then on Monday, once a month, um, Oscar brings all of his pastors together, encourages them, ministers to them, and then they give them their food for the whole month uh, that they take back with them. Guys, we were there a few years ago, and uh, April can attest to this. There was a gentleman who was sharing with us, and and obviously we needed an interpreter. He was just saying, thank you so much for coming and, and ministering to us I actually ride my bike from the mountains down here, uh, and it takes him like nine hours. And then he puts all the rice on the back of his bike and rides back once a month uh, to go back. And he was just saying, man, we appreciate you guys coming down. I was like, no, man, I appreciate you and everything that you do. And so um, they'll be going down uh, during that time. And so. If you want to sow in at all to what's going on there, uh, you can do that. Uh, As Donnie said, um, we always like to take soccer balls. They love soccer there. We like to take clothes. We like to be able to bless Oscar and them with uh, special offerings. So if you're interested in any of that, just reach out to me or Tato or Willie. uh, And then also online, you can see that we do have um, on Subsplash, there's a giving line for on eagles wings in Nicaragua and so and be praying for them um, you know this has been a tough season for them as well as they've gone through COVID and navigated all that because one of the mainstays of their ministry is teams that would come down and minister and there was like two years where no teams came down because of COVID and uh, it was a very difficult time and so be in prayer for that and if you want to Uh, support that. Again, reach out to us or you can do that online. So, Okay, so we're in week five of Mythbusters. And again, as you know from the video, we're working our way through some common myths that we hear in culture when it comes to Christianity and God and Jesus and the Bible. And so today, I'm going to have to deal with a a really challenging one. Um, And it's this myth that I believed... All the way up until I was about 23 years old, that good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. I remember being in college and hearing kind of the gospel for the first time. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, I think that's for people maybe in other parts of the world, but it's definitely not for me because I'm a really good person. Like I pray before, the, my coach selected me. We would say the Lord's Prayer before every college basketball game. And I was the designated prayer guy. And so I'm good. I was the, you know, most likely to succeed and character award winner in high school and all this. And the reality was, typically, I was always comparing myself to extremes. Hey, I'm not Ted Bundy. Right, And I know I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm really closer to Mother Teresa on this spectrum. And so I'm, I'm a good person. And I think if I stood before God one day and he asked me, you know, why should I allow you into heaven? I would say, because God, I'm a, I'm a good person. I walked a couple old ladies across the street one time, you know... Uh, I did things like this so we're gonna look at this because the Bible actually uh, has a different perspective and so as we get ready to jump into this again many times our perspectives are one thing but reality is another so take a look at this myth that they busted on Mythbusters once about bulls in china shops <laughs> My favorite part on the show is when you expect one thing to happen, and then the exact opposite happens. His stomach is inside his helmet. And a perfect example was a bull in a china shop. You've heard this expression your whole life, bull in a china shop. It means a really clumsy person breaking things. Did it hurt the bull? I'm okay. You know, we set up this kind of rickety shelved china shop, complete with all these dishes, in this bull pet. This one looks like it's ready to go without the bull. And we let one bowl in. For us, it was just a lap. Oh, okay. Here comes the bowl. Oh, look, he's totally avoiding all the china. It was the most graceful thing I'd ever seen. And it was running fast. It wasn't just walking. I mean, it was moving quick, just weaving in and out of these shelves, not even touching it. Whoa! Right through the shelves without knocking over a single piece of This is cool. Okay, that's strange. Let's let two bulls in. So, the two bulls, one follows the other one, and they just go around the china shop. Look at that. <laughs> they're very careful of the break in china. I was elated when I found out that the bulls weren't gonna break anything, because it was just so counterintuitive. I mean, they're big, giant, lumbering beasts. But no, they're ballet dancers. They're the ballet dancers of the wild. I think we're gonna have to just admit it. It's a stupid saying. I'm never gonna use it again. Bull in a china shop busted. Busted. It's busted. Next Wednesday, don't miss the myth. All right. So that myth got busted. All right. So let's look at this myth that good people go to heaven. I think the first thing that we have to discover and look at is um, defining what is good because we again have our perception of what we think is good and then God has his perception of what is actually good and when I was a young believer one of the first things that I did I did this Bible study on the nature of God and it went into all the different scriptures and the Bible, what it, what it said is that, that God is perfect, that God is righteous, that God is just, that God is true, that God is love, and that it uses this word that God is, is holy. He's holy. He's, he's other. He's transcendent. So the Bible paints this picture of of who God is. He's perfect, he's loving, he's good, he's just, he's true, he's light. But then the Bible paints this opposite picture of who we are as man. Now, if you go ahead one slide... We'll look at some scriptures, and these are just three of literally hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that talk about the nature of God. So, Revelation fifteen four says, "Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. You're other. You're separate. All nations will come and worship You, for Your righteous acts have been revealed." So, again, we'll see through the Bible. That God is is defined as being as being pure as being holy. Psalm eighteen thirty. As for you, God, as for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. So He's holy. He's perfect. There's there's no error. There's no incon. There's He is completely. He has. He is congruence. There's nothing that is off about God. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. So that's the picture that we get of who God is. Now, if we go back a slide, we'll see at the bottom, we'll see this passage of Scripture from 1 John 1, 5, where John is beginning to unpack this idea of of who God is, and he says, this is the message we've heard from him, from God, from Jesus, and declare to you, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So to, to try to get our hands around This scripture and the magnitude of it is that when we even think about the sun, in all of its brilliance, and all of its power, I mean not even being able to look at it, if we were approaching the sun, it would absolutely destroy us in in its radiance, in its power, in its glory. And yet the sun isn't even absolute light. The sun has dark spots on it. The sun has what's called umbra, umbra, right? It, it, so it's not even absolute light. And the Bible says that it, God is perfect and he's righteous and he's true, but he's, he's absolute light. And we have to get our, our, hand, that, our, our hands around that's who he is. So the Bible then says when it starts talking about man it uses words like man is unrighteous man is imperfect man is unjust man is untrue we start seeing that that's that's who our nature is this is who we are so even in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, we'll begin to see the very first family with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. We'll begin to see right away this nature manifest itself when Cain comes and he's going to bring this sacrifice to God. And he brings the wrong sacrifice. And God says, hey, Cain, hey, listen. Listen. You've brought the wrong sacrifice, but if you go do what's right and bring the right sacrifice, I'll accept you. I'll accept it. Here's kind of what I've required of you. He says, but sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, to. Ma- but you must master it. Immediately, Cain goes out and s- kills his brother Abel and sheds innocent blood. Right in Genesis chapter 4. So... What we see, even as we begin to work our way through the early parts of the Bible in Genesis, we'll begin to see this nature of man manifesting itself. It gets to Genesis 9, and it says that the thoughts and intent and motivations and acts of mankind is nothing but wickedness and depravity, that this was Already what was happening in the world, envy, greed, pride, lust, all these things happening in the world. And we still see the manifestation of that today. Just cut somebody off in traffic and you will see it. So the Bible says that, that this, is, this is the nature of man. So let's look at some scripture and primarily, we're going to look in Romans chapter 3, because in Romans chapter 3, Paul begins to unpack the gospel. And he's talking here, and let's, let's go ahead and read it. It's on the screen, starting in verse 9 of Romans 3. Paul writing, he, he says, so what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? He's talking about Jews versus Gentiles, their faith. Now the gospel coming in. Is there any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all, all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is none who understands. There's no one who seeks God on their own. On our own, our own, where we go if we're left to ourselves, guys, is we would go into greater and greater depravity. Outside of the grace of God, the common grace of God, and the saving grace of God, we would just keep going our own way and choosing selfishness. So no one who seeks God, all have turned away. That word all again that Paul uses They have together become unprofitable. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. He's giving a summation of the nature and character of man, of people. This is who we are. So when it says Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, So guys, there's so many different ways that we we can approach this. We can approach it in terms of, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, but we can approach it when we start thinking about our state and our condition, truly before this transcendent, holy, powerful, righteous, perfect God. We can first look and say, okay, hey, from a legal standpoint... How, how would this work? So if God is this creator and God is this judge and we're going to go before him one day and make a case for ourselves and for our lives to say, hey, God, here's the good things that I did. Here's the bad things that I did. And this week at the staff meeting, I shared with our staff, years ago, I saw this video of this individual talking about our lives, and he said this he said that if you really looked at your life the average person they did a survey one time and the average person says they lie 7 to 10 times a day and i thought wow i mean little lies big lies half truths i thought okay i'm 56 years old If I lied 10 times a day, so that's 3,650 lies, times 56, I've probably lied 25,000 times this week, (laughs) 25,000 times in my life, that's just that. Because in the Bible, you have to understand, there are the sins of what's called commission, the things that you actually do. So the Bible talks about iniquity, transgression, sin, right? Iniquity is in the heart. Transgression is what we actually do when we actually make decisions to do things, to steal, to lie. But inside, we have things like envy. How many times have I envied? How many times have I hated? How many times have I been bitter? How many times have I lusted? How many times? So, if I was going to go make my case and God was going to pull out the things that I, I would not have a good case. It's kind of like if they put a camera on you and followed you around every day. And then we're going to fine you $175 for every time you went over the speed limit one time. I wouldn't want to get that bill from the Leander Police Department. Because I constantly fall short. I'm constantly breaking the law. I mean, just driving here this morning, I probably went over the speed limit five times. So... Even just coming from that angle, the legal angle, then coming from the angle of just our condition before God. We have to understand we minimize sin and its power. And I was sharing with the staff this week, a lot of times we think that it's far less than it actually is. And I said, you know, and I say this in all Humility and sobriety. But there's an epidemic going on in our country right now with fentanyl. And I was watching a documentary on it and they were saying it's so crazy because something the size of a speck. That if it's on something, if you're taking something, a pill or something, and it's laced with fentanyl, something you can't even almost see and observe, when it gets into your system, it'll kill you. And it doesn't matter how sincere you are. I sincerely believe that this pill I'm taking is completely fine. I'm, I'm 100% convinced. I'm 100% sincere. It doesn't matter because that fentanyl, that ingredient that's in there will get into your system and it'll kill you. And that's what sin does. Sin, we are all in that place. We're in need of redemption. We're in need of saving and in need of grace. So let's keep going. Look at what Romans keeps saying. So their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed to blood shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is man outside of God's grace, again, common grace, saving grace. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So it's saying, hey, listen, if if you're trying to measure yourself against God, against perfection, against holiness, against these things, you're, you're going to fall short every time. There's no way that we can bridge that gap. It's impossible. And that's the state of every single person outside of Christ. So let's keep going. So we, here's what the Bible says about God. Here's what the Bible says about man. That we're unrighteous, we're unholy, we're imperfect, we're unjust. So how does the Bible define our state outside of Christ? Dead. Dead. See, we're we're three people in one. We have three aspects to us. We have the physical body, we have our soul, and we have our spirit. We're spirit, soul, and body, the Bible says. Well, outside of Christ, because of sin, we, our spirit is dead. We need to be regenerated. We need to be quickened. So the Bible says, outside of Christ, this is this is where, this is where every person is. So what, let's see what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says. As for you, Paul writing again to the church at Ephesus, you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins. Listen, the gospel at its essence is not primarily to help bad people become good or good people to become better people. To have dead people become alive. That's the essence of the gospel. So Paul says... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Our natural default position is rebellion, disobedience, independence, selfishness, pride, so forth. That's our natural disposition. You don't have to teach kids when they're two years old to say mine. You have to teach them actually how to share how to be gracious how to be thankful because the nature so look at what he goes on to say all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature children of wrath that's our nature So Tato this week when we were planning this out in the staff meeting was like, you know, Dave, for me, it always made sense when somebody explained to me the gospel, and they said, there was an individual one time who went to a store and he wanted to buy a dog, and they were out of dogs. So he said, What do I, what do you have? And he said, All I have is pigs. And he said, okay, give me the pig, but also give me the collar and the sweater and give me the leash. Because I'm going to turn this pig into a dog. And he trained him and worked with him and all this. And one day, he went out in the backyard and he took the leash off and the pig ran out and started playing in the mud. And he said, why? Because that's his nature. What we do comes out of our nature, and the Bible says that by nature, this is who we are. So the only way that we can change is to have our nature changed. For God to come in, not on the outside with laws and exterior things and requirements and all these things that we try to keep, but we can't, that God through the gospel, supernaturally through the Holy Spirit and what Jesus did on the cross actually comes and lives in us and gives us his nature, and he changes our nature. And our, the nature, the greater one, comes and lives inside of us. He quickens us, and we become alive. So I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I I kept doing the things that I didn't want to do, like Paul said. I coveted, I was envious, I lusted, I transgressed. Why? Because that's my nature. Until the nature of God came to live in me through the Holy Spirit, and His nature is defined in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Comes and lives inside of us. The Bible says every person, every person outside of the saving, redeeming work of Christ is dead in their transgressions and sins. They're dead. See what it also says. It's not only were we dead, we were separated. In one passage of Scripture, I believe it's in Luke 16. Jesus is ministering. And he's talking about this rich man and a man named Lazarus. And he tells this parable of Lazarus having this good life and this man who would come and beg every day. And then when they went to the afterlife, to the afterworld, Lazarus. Was not with God. He was not in heaven. And he cries out and he says, like, hey, if I can't be redeemed, if I can't be saved, please send someone back to talk to my family, to talk to my brothers and all this. And, and there's a little phrase that Jesus uses there. He says, So, you cannot come here and we cannot go there because there's a great gulf fixed between us. There's a great separation. There's a great gulf. So, not only are we dead outside of Christ, we're separated from God. Look at what it says in Isaiah 59:2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So, guys, sin fractures. Sin brings brokenness. Sin brings separation. That's what, that's what happened in the garden. Ephesians 2.12 goes on to say, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. He's talking about their past before salvation came, before redemption came excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Somebody said to me one time, in order to truly appreciate the good news, you first have to fully understand the reality of the bad news. If we could get there on our own, Scripture says, then Christ died in vain. He didn't need to come. What a waste. Hey, thank you, Jesus, for the maraschino cherry on top, but I already made my own ice cream. I can eat it with or without the maraschino cherry. If we could get there by ourselves, He didn't need to come. He died in vain. So we're dead, we're separate. And then look at the last one the Bible says we're guilty. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. In a court, if we stand before God... We're guilty. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. So we're dead. We're separate. Separated. We're guilty. I could have gone on and did five more, guys, of our state. But we only have a certain amount of time. Just chose three. So this is... This is where we're at outside of Christ so the myth that's out there is hey good people go to heaven no good people don't go to heaven redeemed people go to heaven wow. Thank you, Lord. quickened people forgiven people go to heaven so let's keep on for a second So what does the Bible have to say about heaven and eternal life? A lot. Did a little research this week and read an article. It said that there's 1,900 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are Jesus' recorded words. 192 of those times, so about 10%, he talked about heaven and the afterlife, and eternal life. So he talked about it as a, as a reality. He talked about it as, hey, one day we are going to stand before a holy God, and we're going to have to give an, an account for our life of what we did. And there's different judgments that you see in the Bible, There's the great white throne judgment. There's the judgment of believers. Believers that are in Christ, we don't get judged for our sin. That already happened at the cross. We get judged for what did we do with what he gave us. Give an account for what you did, the time, the resources, the talents that I gave you. The unbeliever, they have to stand before God and they have to give an account for their life and their sins. This is what the Bible teaches. So there's thousands of scriptures in the entire Bible that talk about heaven, the afterlife, eternal life. Jesus talked about it like it was a reality. So how do we? How do we then? If good people don't go to heaven. Because we said scripture shows very clearly that no one's good. No one's good enough. How do we? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, just gives this really concentrated snapshot. It says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the mouth we confess and with the heart we believe. So the Bible paints this picture of how a person gets saved. And the first thing they have to do is recognize their need. Their need. Their need for for God, their need for redemption, their need for salvation. So you have to recognize, in our culture today, in America, we're a very independent and prideful place. In the book of Revelations, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says, do you not understand that you say, we have need of nothing, but you don't understand that you're naked, wretched, poor... I mean, I was like, man, I'm, I got a Lexus. I'm living, playing in the NBA. I got great clothes. I'm this. Uh, hey, man, I don't really have any needs. But I did. So we have to recognize, guys, there are people all around us that God has placed us around. that have a need for salvation I've told this story so many times it was my wife April going to California to pursue her dream of dancing and being in California and finding her fame and fortune and beginning to dance with Rudy Perez dance and the Long Beach City Dance Theater and was falling further and further away from God and it was her co-worker sue spencer that put her on a list a prayer list most wanted and began to pray for april every day as they worked at viking office products and april would say she would go to lunch with sue and talk about oh yes i believe in god and i believe in jesus you know and all this and sue just kept praying for her and invited her to church one Sunday, Hope Chapel, Hermosa Beach. And April went, and she said that it, it, it frightened her because she saw that they had something that she didn't have. She watched the worship team do Leaning on the Everlasting Arms in reggae. And there was joy. and there was so, She said, there's something, I can't put my finger on it. And so she avoided Sue Spencer for the next several weeks until she went back to Hope Chapel. And she was there, and she'll tell you, she was in her black, high-top, speckled tennis shoes with her Bob Marley t-shirt on and what she called her big hair. And Zach Nazarian, the preacher, preached a message of salvation and grace. And she said... He asked, he did an altar call, and he says, anybody wants to respond? She jumped up out of her seat and ran down to the front because all her life her dad had told her, April, never put all your eggs in one basket. And she went down and she said, today, Jesus, I'm putting all my eggs in your basket. And something happened. God came in, and he filled her, and he changed her, and he quickened her, and he regenerated her, and he gave, filled her with joy and filled her with hope. I, a few weeks later, she, she showed me her baptism picture, and she had gotten baptized there, and, and they took the picture as she came out of the water, and the glory of God was on her. She was smiling ear to ear and thankful because I had seen her months before that, not in a place of joy, in a place of bondage, figure out how do you get out of this, how do I get free, how do I, how, how? So you recognize your need. But then the Bible says that you have to repent. You have to repent. People have to repent. Hebrews 6 says that let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Every single person in this room, in Cedar Park, in Leander, ultimately has to recognize and they have to repent. And repentance is turning away not only from sin, but turning away from everything else that we trust in because ultimately somebody, everybody trusts in something and most people trust in themselves because it's called self-righteousness. Self righteous. So you have to turn away, the Bible says, from from everything you're trusting in. When Jesus was ministering to the Pharisees, what they were trusting in was that they were godfathered in, grandfathered in because of who they were connected to. In other words, when Jesus said to them, this whole thing of salvation, and they said, oh yeah, we're good we're Abraham's descendants. Oh, we're good. My parents were Catholic. Oh, we're good. My great-grandfather was a Baptist deacon. That doesn't save you. So the Bible says recognize and repent. We have to turn away from sin, turn away from everything that we're trusting in. And we turn to Christ. So we recognize, we repent, we confess. We confess what? Our sin, but we also confess Jesus as the Lord of our life. It's called crossing the finish line. For me, it was a 23-year-old sitting in Houston, Texas, with my whole MBA everything, and it was a man coming and ministering the gospel to me. Jesus dying on the cross for me that would give me forgiveness, that would give me eternal life, that would give me freedom. And he says, Do you want to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life today? And I said, I do. I do. He said, Pray this prayer with me, Lord Jesus. I said, Lord Jesus. I confess that I'm a sinner, I confess that I'm a sinner, Lord, I confess that You are who You say You are, You're the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, I believe it. And Jesus, right now, I ask You to forgive me of my independence, forgive me of my pride, forgive me of my rebellion, forgive me of my sin, forgive me of my immorality. And Jesus, right now, I ask you to come in and change me and be Lord of my life. And guess what happened? He did. And the Bible says that when we do that, we become a new creation in Christ. And in baptism, the old person dies. The old Dave Jamerson with his nature died. The old Linda Byrd died. The old Tato Alvarez died. The old Teresa Garcia died. The old Donnie Mae died. And we come up in newness of life. But guys, Jesus did it all. He paid the price. He lived the life that you could never live And died the death that you were supposed to die so that you could have the life that you've always wanted. He lived the life that you could never live. He lived perfect. He died the death that we were supposed to die. He took our place to give us the life that we always wanted. But guys, he could do all that. Puts it out, but you actually have to receive it. A person actually has to respond to the gospel. Now end with this. It's a famous story of a woman. She lived a really good life. Husband cared for her, provided for her. This is a true story. And when her husband died, she fell into financial difficulties. And she ended up losing her home. She ended up becoming homeless. She was living on the street. She had a shopping cart. She had her belongings and some pictures and photo albums, some clothes, some different things in there. She lived the rest of her days in that state, in that place. And when she died, they were going through a little shoebox of things that she had. And what they discovered were these little pieces of paper that were stock certificates. And what they discovered is that that amount added up to about $750,000. She had the opportunity to possess it at all times, but she didn't know what she had. You can, salvation can be sitting there. It's there, it's offered, it's the free gift. But you actually have to reach out (laughs) and grab it and receive it. It doesn't, you don't possess it until you actually grab it. I could give you a gift, I could have a gift, a half million dollar gift for Tish and give it to her and she can take it and put it in her closet and never open it up and never get to receive the benefits of it. You have to receive it. So I humbly submit to you this morning the myth that good people go to heaven. And I say busted. It's a myth. Good people don't go to heaven. Redeemed, regenerated, forgiven people go to heaven. That's why we do what we do. That's why I do what I do. At 27 years old, sitting there praying one day. I said, God, I got this opportunity to go be a college coach at Manhattan. I could go into business. I could go back to law. And God said, I want you to spend your life, and I'm not saying this for everyone, doing what's most important that affects eternity. I want you spending your life sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. That's why we do what we do. There's people all around us at Orange Theory, at HEB, Walgreens, at your workplace that need to hear. Because that scripture in Romans goes on to say if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. And how will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? How will they know unless they hear? (laughs) My cousin shared the gospel with me when I was 17. The campus minister shared the gospel with me from Chi Alpha, Mike Olazar's. My teammate shared the gospel with me, Dave. A pastor shared the gospel with me. My life was redeemed and changed because somebody lived out Romans 10 in my life. Guys, good people don't go to heaven, <laughs> redeemed, forgiven. Regenerated people do. Have the worship team come up. Maybe you're here today. And you've never. Jesus is handing it out to you. You Say man I have forgiveness and freedom and grace and eternal life for you. But maybe you've never responded to it. We'll have our prayer team down here in a minute. Maybe somebody here this morning, it's like I want to I step across that line. I want to stop trusting in myself or culture or the government or my good works. I actually want to receive the gift. God, thank you so much that when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, you made us alive. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that when we were separated, you brought us in. When we were dead, you made us alive. When we were guilty, you forgave us. Help us, God, to share good news into the world, into those around us, sometimes wrestling with people, sometimes having to wrestle with people, somebody had to wrestle with me. Help us to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, we are so glad that you joined us for our service this morning if you are interested in learning about how you can start a relationship with Jesus we would love to be here to talk that through with you the Bible says in 1st John five twelve that whoever has the son has life and we really believe that here at Renovate so again if you want to start a relationship with Jesus if you're just interested in learning more about the faith you have questions we'd love to hear from you as well or if you want to grow as a follower of jesus or get more involved in what we're doing we'd love to hear from you so just go ahead and comment on the platform that you're at or reach out to us by email at info at renovatechurch.com again we're so glad you're able to join us we hope you have a great week and we look forward to hearing from you soon